Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The pandemic has unleashed a deep economic crisis, and the capitalist system has been shaken to its foundations. Capitalist governments acted quickly to keep the economy afloat by injecting huge sums of money into it. In this context, ideas that had been relatively marginal until now suddenly entered mainstream discourse, such as modern monetary theory and universal basic income. Have these ideas succeeded in overcoming the contradictions of capitalism? What is the Marxist approach to economic crises? In this talk, Benoit Tanguay, editor of La Repose Socialiste, addresses why reformism cannot solve the crisis. So this talk is called, Is There a Magic Money Tree? Why Reformism Can Solve the Crisis? And I think it's pretty clear what crisis we're talking about, unless you've just woken up from a 10-month coma. But if that's the case, well, I have some bad news for you. The pandemic has really dealt a severe blow to the economy. And I don't want to burden you with statistics, but I would like to give you an order of magnitude. Gross world product fell by 4.3% in 2020. In contrast, it had fallen by 1.7% in, in 2009 at the worst of the Great Recession. Uh, and this is the most severe drop since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Um, but certainly for uh, a lot of people who are listening to us, the, this crisis is not just about GDP figures, but it's about uh, job losses, it's a bit about having to move back in with your parents. It's millions of lives really that have been turned upside down. Um, but it must be stressed that the pandemic did not cause the economic crisis. The pandemic was just the straw that broke the camel's back. In fact, it is really just a, a deep crisis of the capitalist system itself. Um, uh, a system that is deeply, deeply sick that is unable to stop the pandemic, unable to address climate change, a, a system where the most abject poverty coexists with the most obscene wealth. And a crisis of this magnitude raises the question, how are we going to get out of it? There are several solutions that are being proposed, especially on the left. Some parties and politicians see the economic crisis as a, an opportunity to adopt reforms, to tackle these problems of capitalism. And I would like to address some of these solutions to see if they can really solve the crisis. And the, the most classic method, the most common solution to economic crises is uh, what's called Keynesian policies. That is policies based on, on the economic thought of John Maynard Keynes. And it's important to talk about it because the left today often preaches Keynesianism and presents it as the solution. This is, for example, the case of those, those who advanced the idea of a new deal in, re in reference to Roosevelt's program during the 1930s crisis in the United States which is the most famous example of a Keynesian program. So at, at the moment, there is, for example, uh, American Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, who is proposing a Green New Deal. Uh, but I would like to um, 
emphasize that Keynes was not a left-wing man. He was not a socialist at all. He was a, he was a bourgeois, a member of the UK Liberal Party. And for example, he said, um, uh, I quote, For my own part, I believe that there is social and psychological justification for significant inequalities of incomes and wealth, but not for such large disparities as exist today. End quote. In fact, Keynes was Keynes openly wanted to save capitalism and mainstream, that is bourgeois, uh, mainstream economic thinking is largely inspired by his ideas. In fact, Keynes is often considered the father of modern macroeconomics. And as, um, as Joram Bauman says, microeconomists tend to be wrong about specific things, whereas macroeconomists are just wrong in general. And um, yeah, Keynes is, is best known for his approach to economic crises. Um, he, he remarks, for example, that the, the market does not automatically organize itself in an efficient way, which is, wow, what a big discovery, right? And he, he criticized the classical economists who defended the, the idea of laissez-faire economics. And classical economists, for example, considered that involuntarily, uh, involuntary unemployment was impossible because, well, it didn't work in their models. And there's this very accurate joke that says that uh, the definition of an economist is someone who cannot see something working in practice without worrying about whether it could happen in, in theory. But uh, yeah, for, for Keynes, uh, laissez-faire didn't work. Uh, it doesn't work. There's no invisible hand of the market that will balance everything. So for him, the, the, the market cannot be left to its own devices. The state must intervene to regulate the market and to regulate capitalism. And he explains that uh, the economic crises are caused by a lack of demand. That is, yeah, so uh, unemployment causes a lack of demand. That is to say, the more unemployed workers there are, the less money workers have to buy goods. And this lack of purchasing power limits demand. And this lack of demand pushes companies to invest less. And when they invest less, they buy less and they cut jobs, which raises unemployment and lowers demand even more. And so on and so forth. And it, all of this creates a vicious cycle uh, that triggers a crisis. And uh, the solution for Keynes is for the state to intervene with investments to fill this gap in demand. If workers don't have enough money and companies don't want to invest, then it is up to the state to stop the, the vicious cycle and to restart the machine by creating demand. So Keynes proposed public works programs, such as uh, building roads and other infrastructure, uh, in order to create jobs and boost demand. Uh, even to... and. Even he proposed that this should, like, it, even if it it was financed by deficits, that's fine for, for him. And the idea that uh, public spending encourages growth, this would make it possible to pay off public debt later. Um, Keynes even made, makes the joke that the central bank could bury banknotes and let private companies hire people to dig them up. 
And um, nowadays, the, the trade unions, the left-wing parties, have largely abandoned socialist ideas, revolutionary ideas, and instead of recognizing, uh, so instead of recognizing capitalism and as the source of inequalities and crises, they maintain rather that the problem is unregulated capitalism, neoliberalism. So they, they defend these Keynesian reforms. They simply demand more public spending and more regulation. Um, but it would be it must be stressed that there is nothing radical in these reforms. They are an attempt and reality to to save capitalism from its own contradictions. Uh, because in, in reality, um, economic crises under capitalism stem from the profound contradictions of the system. Uh, for Marx, for Karl Marx, economic crises are not uh, caused by a lack of demand, but by uh, the extreme abundance of supply. This is what Marxists call um, the crisis of overproduction, or uh, Fourier called it uh, the plethoric crisis, the crisis of overabundance. And we must remember, uh, capitalism in its early days was a tremendously progressive system. The competition between capitalists, uh, i.e. Uh, business owners, uh, pushes them to invest massively, to, to buy machinery, to, to uh, develop uh, technology. Um, so to produce more efficiently and therefore at a lower cost. And that's how the economy and technology have developed more in the last 300 years than probably in the 2000 years before that. And thanks to this uh, increasingly efficient, productive machinery, capitalists are bringing in an ever-increasing, uh, are producing an, an ever-increasing quantity of goods uh, onto the market. Um, but capitalists don't produce goods for, for fun. Uh, they do it for profit, and these profits come from the exploitation of the workers. They do not pay workers for the full, full proceeds from the sale of goods. The working class receives less value in wages than it produces, and the difference in value is appropriated by capitalists. This is the source of the exploitation of workers under capitalism. Capitalists are constantly seeking to increase their profits to increase this exploitation. It means paying their workers as little as possible or to have fewer workers produce the same quantity of goods. And all this is a source of misery for the working class uh, that is constantly being squeezed in their wages. Um, and but it is also a source of economic crises because it means that uh, unavoidably the, the working class will never be able to collectively afford to buy what it collectively produces. Because, I as I was saying, workers are not paid the full value of what they produce. Um, but of course, uh, workers are not the only consumers. Part of the economy is devoted to the production of capital goods i.e. machines, tools, equipment, etc. used for production. And therefore, part of, this, of the demand is taken up by this part of the economy. Capitalists constantly reinvest part of their products in the modernization of their machinery to produce goods even faster and to re replace workers with machines. 
as we can see with automation, for instance, like uh, when um, grocery stores replace cashiers with uh, automatic cash re registers. Um, it means that uh, then we have at one pole, at one pole, an exponential ac accumulation of goods that must be sold, and at the other pole, a uh, tendency to uh, erode the, the purchasing power of the masses and uh, the number of workers. As uh, Marx uh, puts it, the ultimate reason for all real crises always remains the poverty and restricted, r restricted consumption of the masses as opposed to the drive of capitalist production to develop the productive forces as though only the absolute consuming power of society constituted their limit. And this is what Keynes notices without being able to explain it when he speaks of lack of demand. Uh, but Keynes puts the problem on its head uh, because in fact the masses have always been very poor. Humanity has known famine and scarcity since its beginnings. But capitalism as the, uh, is special in that it goes into crisis every 10 years due not to a lack but to a surplus. Um, and uh, Engels presents it by uh, saying that under capitalism, the expansion of markets cannot keep pace with the expansion of production. That's how we can throw away 30% uh, of the goods produced with, while people are starving, or that uh, big uh, brands can destroy tons of clothing every year while people are wearing rags. Uh, be because goods are produced to be sold, no, so to make money, not to make, not to meet people's needs. And so, um, periodically, the market becomes too saturated. Capitalists can no longer find a market for their products. They then stop reinvesting in machinery, which cuts in demand. They reduce their production. They then need uh, fewer empl employees and lay people off, which cuts even more into the demand and it becomes even harder to find the people to buy uh, goods to find it becomes harder to sell and the system then enters into a crisis and there is a statistics that gives a pretty good a pretty clear picture of this uh, phenomenon of overproduction and it's called uh, capacity capacity utilization uh, which means what like the, the proportion of machines that are used and we see, if you look at the graph, you can clearly see a downward trend. For example, in the 1960s, uh, sorry, in the 1970s in the United States, it was around 90% cap cap capacity utilization. Well, since 2008, it has fallen b below 80%, and today it is around 75% which means that 25% of the machinery is simply not in use because there would be no money to be made by producing more. It's really, so it's really a sick system that leaves people unemployed while there is a bunch of unused machinery that could be used to produce more. And so if we return to Keynesian politics, uh, policies, all of this means that government spending doesn't really solve anything. Indeed, there is a small problem with this solution. 
and that is well it's not a really small problem it's a pretty big problem it's who's going to pay where is the state uh, supposed to find this money to to stimulate the economy to boost the economy so let's take a closer look well first the state can levy taxes but then who's going to be taxed the workers or the bosses uh, capitalists or uh, workers well if it's the workers who are taxed it doesn't really solve anything it just reduces their purchasing power even more and cuts into demand if it's the bosses that are being taxed as we have seen the bosses hire workers to and produce for profit if they have no uh, like uh, perspectives of profit or if it, it gets limited they tend to just close down shop and leave. And if we reduce their profits by taxing them more, they tend to invest even less in production and to shut down even more of their businesses to re uh, uh, relocate production. Uh, and well, all of that, of course, cuts into demand uh, and cuts jobs. Uh, finally, the, the state can also finance its expenditures through deficits, so by borrowing money. But this solution is limited. Uh, this debt inevitably ends up having to be repaid with interest uh, in prime uh, as a bonus. And you can be sure that uh, banks always get their, their debts repaid. Um, in other words, when the state stimulates or, or boosts the economy um, today through debt, uh, it limits its own ability to uh, boost it or sustain it more tomorrow. It cuts into future demand. And as public debt grows, the problem gets bigger and bigger. And of course, I'm not saying that uh, I support austerity. Uh, the, in, indeed, the labor movement should fight against cuts in public services. And every reform won by workers and for workers is a good thing. But uh, it must be emphasized that uh, Keynesianism is not a solution. And conservative uh, politicians generally oppose Keynesian measures because, precisely because they're concerned about who is going to pay for them. And they certainly don't want uh, the, the big bosses they rep represent to pay for social programs. And also because they're, um, they argue that uh, pushing the the, well, that all these, the spending pushes the public debt to high levels. So they promote austerity, that is, they promote cuts in public services and public spending. But in fact, uh, austerity worsens the crisis by cutting demand further. And, it, and so, yeah, worsens the crisis. Uh, so the left generally replies that it, it's, that it is irrational to adopt austerity measures that austerity is an ideologi ideological choice. But in truth, Keynesians and their opponents on the right are both right and wrong. Uh, governments do have the choice. They have the choice between a crisis now or an even bigger crisis later. In fact, austerity or deficits is just basically the choice between getting punched now or getting kicked in the face tomorrow. And this threat of austerity actually hangs over our heads right now. 
because governments were already in debt before the pandemic and they are even more so now um, because I must remind you that at the beginning of the pandemic governments around the world have spent huge sums of money to save the economy in the first two months alone of the pandemic governments around the world spent more than 10 th uh, 10 trillion dollars in, in stimulus spending this is three times the st stimulus plans of uh, 2008 and 2009 combined and the crisis is far from over but these plans such as the wage subsidy program in canada are not even really keynesian plans they are simply gifts given to companies to keep them alive. Thousands of companies are kept on life support, basically. Um, so that means that we, we see this phenomenon right now of zombie companies, uh, businesses that should not be viable, that ba barely can repay their own debts, but uh, who stay alive because of government handouts. In the United States, for instance, about 25% of the 3,000 largest companies are, are zombie companies. Um, and so huge sums are being given to companies just to keep the economy alive in the hope that vaccination campaigns will end the pandemic and restart the economy. But vaccination is progressing as a, at a snail's pace and there is no end in sight for the pandemic. So what will, will happen when these bailout plans come, uh, come to an end? When governments unplug the life support systems? Well, the ruling class is worried. One wing of the bourgeoisie is calling to maintain the life support and uh, warns against austerity, which would have dangerous political repercussions for the ruling class. Um, so, for instance, Lawrence Boone, that is, who's the chief economist for the OECD, uh, says, and I quote, the public would revolt against renewed austerity or tax rises. After the crisis, people are going to ask where all this money has come from, end quote. And of course, she's talking about the, the money, they, all this, these huge sums of money they use to bail, uh, to bail out corporations. And uh, we, we hear similar warnings from the IMF and the Euro European Central Bank, two institutions that are not exactly friends of the workers. And, and these institutions are also calling on governments around the world to learn to live with higher debts, higher deficits. And so the, this is a sign that the ruling class is very worried. And they are actually running out of ways to solve the crisis. Because, uh, well, normally af after Keynesian policies, capitalists, governments uh, use uh, monetary policies. N notably, uh, they reduce interest rates and put more liquidities in the hands of, in the hands of banks and, com and uh, companies uh, with their famous uh, quantitative easing programs. Um, that aim to encourage consumers and businesses to borrow, consume, and invest. But governments have already resort, uh, like used these, these uh, solutions. Interest rates are already extremely low, and the market is already uh, drowning in cheap cash. It's easier than ever to get a loan. 
Um, above all, these solutions have the effect of uh, greatly increasing the instability of the system without really increasing productive investments. Um, in fact, nobody wants to uh, hire uh, workers and buy machinery. Uh, in, in Canada, uh, for instance, um, 1.58 uh, uh, trillion dollars are sitting in the bank accounts of Canadian businesses as we speak. <coughs> and it makes sense. Because why would you invest when the market is already saturated with overproduction and when people are just not buying? Why produce when you already can't sell? Um, so this, this money does not find its way into the real economy to stimulate production and demand. Instead, it, end up, it ends up in speculation and on the financial market. Companies would rather gamble their money on the stock market than invest it. And that means that what that at the moment we see uh, so, some people are warning of a stock market bubble that is swelling at an alarming rate. Um, uh, a bit well, we we saw we saw an example of that with the GameStop story, um, and some analysts compare it to the internet bubble of the early 2000s. So the ruling class really has no solution to offer us. The, the only thing they are proposing is to increase the public debt even more and to give even more money to capitalists who have no intention of investing it produce, uh, productively. So <clears throat> some um, previously unthinkable or marginal, marginal ideas have, become, have begun to emerge. For instance, there is this idea of an, a universal basic income uh, or UBI. And of course, this idea didn't come out of nowhere. It came back on the table because of the large income support programs that were adopted when millions of people were laid off with the first uh, lockdown, such as the, the Canadian Emergency Benefit or in the UK, they had the furlough scheme or American friends received a nice little check of $600. And uh, these, all these programs raise the question, why don't we make uh, this program permanent and universal? And universal basic income is this idea of a periodic cash payment to everyone regardless of income. And the, the idea gained traction, especially with the growing concerns of uh, automatization or automation and uh, the gig economy. Uh, and this idea uh, in one form of, or, or another has come a long way since the pandemic. <clears throat> it even re reached uh, the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, Justin Trudeau was forced to go out and say he wasn't going to adopt the UBI because of all the discussions happening in, it, in his own party. And the, the Liberal Party is even supposed to discuss it at, at its April convention. Um, even the Pope has uh, came out in favor of a UBI. Uh, and so UBI could seem like quite a radical demand, but... Uh, I think like any other demand, one person, uh, one must ask oneself, does it benefit workers? Does it advance the interests of the workers in the class struggle? And in this case, we have to say that, uh, well, it depends. 
sometimes UBI is proposed from the left. For for example, Quebec Solidaire uh, proposes to to mm, put in place a, a a pilot program, or uh, you, you also have in the NDP of uh, Lee Gazin, uh, NDP MP Lee Gazin, that tabled a motion the, in the House of Commons calling for a UBI. She proposes to f to fund this UBI by a quote divesting for, from corporate welfare, ending offshore tax havens, and taxing the ultra-wealthy, end quote. And the, that this must be accompanied by investments in public services, social housing, etc. And, of course, in that form, there would be really no reason to oppose it. Um, the, but we have to underline that UBI is not necessarily a left-wing idea. Uh, just the fact that it is discussed in the Liberal Party is already a good indication of that. It's important to note that UBI has roots in the libertarian right. One of uh, its best-known supporters was Milton Friedman, one of the main architects of the economic policies of Chilean dictator uh, uh, Pinochet. And for this... Uh, for this libertarian right, UBI has nothing to do with the strengthening of the, the social safety net. And for the, the right wing in general, when it proposes UBI, it has nothing to do with, with a, a progressive policy at all. On the contrary, it's, it's a, a Trojan horse that, that they, they plan to use, that they, they, they think of using to, um, with the aims of dismantling the, the welfare state, in fact. The idea is to privatize all those pesky social programs like uh, public health and education and to replace them with, a, with a, a single check for everybody. No more public health care. Now you can pay for a private doctor with your meager check of $1,000. And left-wing supporters of uh, a UBI argue that uh, it could help push wages higher because um, employers would be forced to pay higher wages to attract workers otherwise, well, people would just rather cash your check than work. Um, but uh, that's, that's also uh, a part of the argument of the right wing uh, that say, well, uh, well the, the check shouldn't be that high. Um, the, in fact, the, the right wing advocates of UBI want to avoid this effect. They fear that if the, the check, if uh, these payments, these cash payments are are too uh, too high, they will encourage people not to work, and they call that a welfare trap. Uh, and that is why bosses and are in general are not very open to UBI, and for the same reason in general they don't really like uh, wel welfare benefits in general. Uh, so. That's, so when the, the right wing proposes uh, UBI, you have to understand that it, it takes the form of a cash payment that would be too low for a truly sustainable, to be a, a truly sustainable income. In short, before we even answer the question of is UBI a solution to the crisis, we have just a question of is it really progressive? Is that proposal of UBI really pro progressive and that should be a case-by-case -case, um, uh, answer. Um, 
and we should look at each proposal and and look at well is it being proposed by the left or by the right wing uh, could it really improve the conditions of workers would it be something for uh, the workers or would it be something used by the ruling class to privatize social social services and dismantle the welfare state and replace it by small cash payment well of course we should reject that uh, that type of of UBI. But even if, if we were uh, confronted with a proposal by a genuine, genuinely left-wing UBI, well, ultimately we come back to the same question as with the Keynesian programs, that is, who will pay for it? And we reach the same limits as with the Keynesian programs, that is, uh, do we want more debt on workers, more taxes on workers, sorry, um, more taxes on, on businesses that will just take their businesses off uh, offshore, or are we just putting more debt on, on the state? And I know that some of you are already thinking, oh, well, he's so, old, he's so old fashioned. Uh, caring about the public debt is so 2019. Nowadays, we don't care about deficits anymore. And this notion that debts don't matter is it comes from um, a thing called monetary uh, modern monetary theory MMT, and currently uh, the most prominent economist ad advocating for MMT is Stephanie Kelton. Kelton was an economic advisor to Bernie Sanders during his 2016 campaign, and MMT has many supporters on the left, like. Um, uh, AOC in the US, for example. In Quebec, the biggest left-wing think tank, uh, IRIS, recently published a post on the, the subject. And so, so what does uh, MMT say? What does moner, modern monetha, monetary theory say? Well, uh, Kelton, for instance, argues that the idea that taxes pay for government spending is pure fantasy. She calls it the deficit myth. Uh, deficit myth and she has a book with that title. And in es essence, the MMT uh, underlines that government cannot, uh, cannot run out of money. Uh, or more precisely, governments that have uh, moner mon uh, monetary sovereignty cannot run out of money. Governments that, own, that issue their own uh, fiat money uh, cannot run out of money. And that's the case, for instance, of the Canadian federal government, the American federal government, Japan, uh, UK, uh, etc. But not the Quebec government or the Ontario government, for instance. Um, and the idea is simple. If the government issues its own currency, well, it cannot run out of money. It can just always print more. Uh, governments don't really wait to physically have bank bills in a safe deposit box. They don't really need to even go out and get money through taxation to fund their social programs. They just uh, they they can just print it, um, and so they they cannot default on their debts. And that's certainly an attractive theory, uh, attractive notion. Well, the government can just make money out of appear out of nowhere and fund social so, social programs forever. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, there's there's certainly a certain kernel of truth there that, that yes, the state can create money out of nowhere. It can it can print money 
Um, and the, the, uh, in fact, the vast majority of money in circulation is not in physical form, but in virtual, in bank servers. Um, but uh, the notion that um, the idea can, the, the, the idea that governments can just create new money, well, it's nothing new actually. And as uh, one of the first economists, William Petty, put it in 1682, he said, uh, if the wealth of a nation could be decoupled by a proclamation, it were strange that such a proclamations not have since not have not long since been made by our govern governors. Um, because yes, the state can create money, but that doesn't mean that this money has any value. And modern monetary theory does not understand this fact. In fact, MMT does not have a theory of value. It contains no explanation of the origin of value. But as Marxists, we understand that value is found in production, in commodities, i.e. goods and services produced to be sold. Money is only a representation of this value, but doesn't have value in itself. Um, and John Locke said, uh, one can no more, no more make a small piece of silver worth more by re relabeling it a shilling than one can make a short man taller by declaring there are now 15 inches in a foot. If the state were to put more money into circulation without the value of the goods in circulation increasing proportionally, it, un it would only reduce the value represented by, by money. If all other things being equal, the government puts twice as many dollars in, into circulation, it would only devalue uh, each dollar by half. And all this means that, well, no, the government can't infinitely print money. It cannot infinitely create money out of thin air. And uh, there is a limit to the amount of, of money the state can create. And that limit, well, it's, it's called inflation, uh, general increase in prices or, or uh, a decline in the value of money, which amounts to the same thing. And inflation cuts into workers' purchasing power and worsens the crisis. A government that creates money without limits would create an inflationary crisis where money would quickly lose value, as we saw in Germany in the 1930s, um, where you need, uh, back in the days, you needed a, a wheelbarrow full of uh, bills to buy a loaf of bread. Uh, in the 1920s, actually, sorry. Um, but the, the worst thing about all this is that um, MMT is well aware of the risks of inflation. Actually, Stephanie Kelton openly admits it. Um, so what is MMT's solution to prevent inflationary pressures? Um, well, she says that all you need to, to do is compensate for the creation of new money by taking it... Uh, uh, the, taking some away elsewhere in the economy. And so how the, do you do that? Well, you use taxes, which means we are essentially back to where we started. Uh, we come back to the same question as with more classical Keynesianism, which is who will pay? Who, will, who is going to be taxed to compensate all that money being created? Um, so all these solutions, MMT, UBI, Keynesianism, they all come down to the same problem. 
that is, if you really want to put more wealth into the pockets of the workers, you're going to have to take it out of the pockets of the capitalists. And the capitalists, well, they won't let that happen. Um, taking the wealth out from a, from a capitalist is like taking away a hungry baby's bottle or a pacifier. But uh, now you're talking about the giant baby who owns the factories, the means of, uh, of production, the, the tran transportation, banks, etc. And who has an army of lawyers, journalists, lobbyists at, at its disposal. Um, a left-wing government that would try to re redistribute wealth through a Keynesian program and MMT, UBI or whatever, would be confronted with enormous resistance from the, the capitalist class. Capitalist cl uh, capitalists would close their, bank their factories in protest. They would, would withdraw their money from the banks. There would be capital flight and they would leave millions of workers out of work. Um, and then there wouldn't be much choice, either capitulate and abandon these reforms or attack directly at the source of the capitalist's power. That is to say, the, the private ownership of the, the means of production. Large companies, banks, means of transportation, communication, etc., should be seized and nationalized. There's no magic solution to get out of it. It is private property that, that is at the source of overproduction crises, and any government that seriously attempts to address this crisis would inevitably run into this, this, this wall. Um, capitalists do not want to invest. They don't want to create more jobs because there's no money to be made by doing that. Uh, and as the saying goes, you can take the donkey to the fountain, to the fountain, but you can't force it to drink. And therefore we say, well, too bad for them. They play no useful role and they must be expropriated. And we must restart production under the control of the workers in, in order to meet everyone's needs. Because the problem is not a lack of resources or a lack of wealth. There's plenty of food, housing, every, uh, everything you need for everyone. In fact, the obstacle is, is a small minority of ultra-rich people who take everything in their hands. And now that they have the, that their in, entire system is in deep crisis, they cling with all their strength to the, the wealth, their wealth and their position in society like a huge leech that clings to society and threatens to drag it into the abyss. And meanwhile, some people are trying to argue to, to find all kinds of elaborate ways to, to avoid touching the, the, the huge uh, leech on our back. Um, and they promise us that, uh, that, that they have found a way to, to square the circle, to not touch the, the, the property of these parasites. Um, and with uh, increasingly complicated financial alchemy. Uh, but but the, the labor movement, the, the workers, should not be fooled. MMT, UBI, all these reforms are just smoke and mirrors. Of course, we, we support any reform that improves the lives of workers. Struck, the struggle for reforms is part of the revolutionary struggle. Each reform won by the workers' struggle gives uh, workers even more confidence in their own strength and it puts them in, in a better position in the fight against capitalism. 
But the, the first task of uh, revolutionaries is to say what is. And it must be said openly that Keynesian ideas, MMT, UBI, cannot solve the crisis. These solutions are a band-aid on a system that is dying of cancer. They do not address the deep contradictions at the source of the crisis of overproduction. They do not call into question the private ownership of the means of production, nor the market economy, nor the exploitation of workers. They do not prevent the capitalists from producing more and more and more goods and impoverishing workers always more and more. These ideas want to address inequalities without tackling the source of inequalities. That is the fact that the rich are rich because they own uh, the means of production and that workers are poor because they have no choice but to, to sell themselves to these capitalists. What the reformists are doing when they say that it's possible to have a big wel welfare state and a guaranteed minimum uh, income, a, a UBI and all of that, is what they're saying is that it's possible to have a capitalism that is not constantly in crisis. They're saying that it's possible to have a capitalism that is not, uh, that does not sow misery. They are saying that it's possible to have wealth without poverty. Uh, they are saying that it's possible to have exploitation without exploitation. And so we say, well, let's stop a beating around the bush. Capitalism is leading us straight to disaster. We have to change course before it's too late. And the unions, the workers' parties, should stop making excuses for this rotten system. It's time for the working class to return to, return to a revolutionary program. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at Marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.